Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We're glad to have you with us today from around the world. Um, we uh, appreciate each of you that downloads our information and studies along with us, and we would welcome hearing from you. MikeSpringstonMinistries.com, Springston56 at gmail.com, FFCMA.org, or through direct messaging with our Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook post. We are always thrilled to have communication, and we've had much from around the world in recent days, and we look forward to you contacting us in the days to come. Today, we're going to begin a little study on five words. The title of this message is Five Words That Contrast in the Spiritual and the Natural. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. And then as the Word of God speaks to us, may we apply it to our lives and forever be changed into the image of your dear Son. Father, we ask that Jesus would speak out of the Godhead, reveal to the Holy Ghost what it is that we need to hear. We would then receive it and release it to your people. And as we do, we would be blessed by truth. We give you praise and glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our High Priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Well, often uh, terms that are used in the spiritual and the natural world seem to be viewed as operating across both worlds and bearing the same meaning. Because we don't correctly define the difference between the terms as they're used, we miss the real understanding. In doing so, we develop a false sense of what really truth is. We often use our natural understanding to define and describe spiritual things. That's often brought to the uh, attention by, well, I believe, well, I think it is. Well, in my opinion, this causes us to then misappropriate what is true and what is real and live off of what is perceived, what is the desired understanding. And, of course, that becomes the life of untruth. As I've been praying, the Lord has shared with me five words that need to be defined correctly. These five words reflect the contrast of our cultures. On one side, there is the biblical narrative that I would subscribe to, and on the other side, there is the world's view of these five words that deal in perception, I believe, I feel, I think, and in my opinion. As I describe these words, it will become quite clear why one view is seen as a counterfeit and the other view is seen as truth. It will also become quite clear why one view, when considered through a lens of common sense, is more sensible and more palatable and gives us a better perspective from which to live. First of all, everyone has an idea concerning how these words fit into their personal structure. As we will see from these words, this structure is absolutely personal in nature. 
but in everyone in some capacity and in finding meaning that makes sense to that person, these words are all addressed. So I will clarify some things that are often left as being unsaid and unspoken. Um, so there are five terms that are associated with the Christian lifestyle that are used unilaterally and often interchangeably in both the secular world and in the Christian world. We don't recognize them because we think that they're only indigenous to the Christian lifestyle, but when we identify them, you will see that they are used across both worlds. If Christianity has a system, then the counterfeit world also will have a system. It's for them an equal yet opposite system. The five words we're talking about are the words eternity, belief, belief system, faith, free will, and love. Unlike it has been portrayed for years, eternal life is not only given to the ones who accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We're not the only ones who, quote, inherit eternal life. No, every person will live eternally. The question is not if, but where will they spend their eternal time. Eternity biblically is assured. Heaven is the eternal home of the believer, and hell is the eternal home of the unbeliever. The means used to arrive in these locations occur at two distinctly different time frames in the economy of God. For the sinner, they will face the judgment seat of Christ. We know this as the white throne judgment. Here the response to a life that had a misconception of their eternal dwelling place will be made quite clear. According to John 3.18, those who have not accepted the work of Jesus Christ are condemned already. So the dwelling place is determined already and awaiting the final verdict. Why? Because man is eternal. The Christian, of course, does not face this judgment. He will stand before the Bema seat or the reward seat of Jesus Christ and there receive the rewards for how he or she conducted their lives in view of the commandments of Christ. Those in this meeting are assured of spending their life with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the place that's been prepared for them by the ministry of Jesus according to John 14. Now, the atheist who believes there is no God does not espouse this concept of eternity. He has a belief system, but he believes that when he is done, he is done. Now here we will begin to deal with the differences that come about in the belief system. What one believes determines how he responds to his world. If you don't believe in God, whether it is the absence of a God or the absence of the acceptance of the God of which you know exists, that really is not relevant. Your belief system is the force behind what you believe and how you live. 
Under the belief that drives the absence of God, one lives under the influence of the man of sin. They seek such things as nature and science and those sorts of things in their belief system. In saying there is no God, one may not acknowledge the presence of the man of sin. But the actions and deeds define the lifestyle. One cannot deny that the deeds and actions associated with sin are certainly described in Scripture. Whether you choose to believe in the existence of God or the existence of evil, one cannot dismiss the contrast that's clearly described in the Bible. Paul clearly describes the force of actions that this person does. They're all well defined in Galatians chapter 5. Their belief system is driven by acts, that are the force of the flesh. They satisfy themselves first and foremost. Their lives reflect all of the self-gratification. Since they expect nothing more from life than what is in the moment, all of their actions are geared in that direction, geared towards excess. Saying there is no God to them also shows the absence of, of the one who creates evil. This is looking at life, if you will, through rose-colored lenses. We see nothing. We're almost like Sergeant Schultz. We see nothing and we choose to know nothing. Why? Because if we acknowledge evil, then we would have to acknowledge the other side of evil, which is that good exists. Therefore, they possess no answer because they live a life of pure chance in a universe that to them operates in the totally unknown. Now, I say all of that knowing that they lock their doors, they put their money in a bank, they own guns to protect themselves, they live in a safe haven areas, but with all of this evidence that they're aware of present danger, which constitutes evil, they will not acknowledge evil. Why? Because if they acknowledge evil, they'll have to equally acknowledge goodness, and they will then have to acknowledge God. This acknowledgement would blow the reasoning behind their assertion that there is no God. These absent of God maintain that they are the little God of their universe. Now, the other side of unbelief is simply the one who does not believe because of refusal and rebellion. These also believe in themselves and act as the little God of their own life. They believe that peace can be found through my many different forms. They believe there are many ways to God. They also believe that peace is fluid and that because it changes from moment to moment and day to day, they locate peace from things. Those things may be things such as other people, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, music, cars, boats, homes, sports, and other material things that serve to pacify their immediate needs. When the moment concludes, the peace is gone and there must be another influence that supplies the feeling. This belief system relies upon the external to soothe the mind because their internal is in chaos. 
It often requires more and more external stimuli to produce the quotes high. And this, of course, becomes dangerous depending on what and which stimuli is used. Thrill-seekers, for instance, make up the ones who live in refusal and rebellion. Of course, the issue here is how much and how close to the edge one will walk. Often, the results are inopportune death. Their support system provided by those who spiral in and out of the moment just as they do, they're also seeking the quotes high that satisfies the moment and moves them on to find the next high. They don't seek solutions and changes. They seek commonalities and spirits that are willing to venture into the thrill of the moment. The contrasting belief system to this is the system that locates its burden-lifting peace in the character, personality, and ministry of Jesus Christ. There is a contrasting belief system. These enjoy truth that is generated in their inner self. Now notice the first belief system generated all of its truth from external, flesh-satisfying, self-gratifying, and mind-bending truth. The next one, whereas I'm referring to the spiritual truth, generates their truth in the inner self because it is in the inner self where they find their belief system to reconnect them to the God of the universe. This truth in the inner man, then, passes into the mind where they experience the freedom of the expression of thought that brings the joy of life with the hope of life eternal that is lived in the heavenly economy. It is not based on anything external. Their belief system does not, is not based upon people, outside influences. No, it's based upon internal influence. It is the internal influence of which their belief system is based on. They find peace and rest in themselves, inside, not from themselves, but from the act of believing on Jesus Christ. They experience the support of the Spirit and those of other like lifestyles. They live under the exposure of love, the explanation of truth, and the expression of having their needs met by the source and creator of the universe. They live in the abundance of life because of the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus, and from that comes the subsequent peace of a clear and sound mind. All internal. The counterfeit belief system is all external. Then there is the contrast of faith. The unbeliever expresses faith, he sure does. Their faith is in themselves. Now watch this closely. They are taught that an individual can do and become whatever it is they want. If they're willing to do these things in ascending order, if they're willing to work, 
That's the least desirable. If they're willing to be naturally skilled, that's a DNA issue. If they are willing to be educated, that is in the middle of the spectrum because that is the thing that the natural world wants to push, force, as the answer to everything. However, we know that it is not. And then last of all, if they can be well connected, their faith resides in the things that are produced from their natural opportunities. Faith then is expressed through what one can do with or for him or herself. So let's look. If I'm willing to work, there are rewards. Well, that sounds good, but they are limited by the next basic of your being your own God. You as a God are limited by the faith that you possess. You can only accomplish so much by work. You can only make so much by your work ethic. You can only go so high by being a hard worker. So the faith mechanism seeks a way to push the limits. Since it's clear that statistics are against me with respect to my working my way into the lifestyle of the rich and famous, I then have to locate another avenue. Well, education seems to be the most popular means to address upward mobility. The common theme is the more education, the more opportunity. The catch here is that one has to go to, be involved in, be responsible for his education. He has to be responsible and accountable for reproducing and regenerating the thing that he is trying to be educated to do. Well, again, the percentages of operating in this sort of faith and reaping the lifestyle that one seeks may not be and may not result in the limitless life that one's looking for. Sixteen years of school to get an undergraduate degree may not reap the benefits Certainly along the way there will be decisions that will be made out of your belief system that will, may alter how far your education can go. It may alter your access. Finances may alter your education. But one thing we know, they have told us that if we will be faithful to our work, and to our education, well, there are opportunities out there for us. The common theme is the more you educate yourself, the more opportunities you have. Well then, after we get done with the emphasis on education, we look to the naturally skilled, and in our world today, it's the naturally skilled 
that are really reaping the benefits of which everyone who operates in natural faith wants to come into. Natural skill, you know, 6'9", 6'10", can run, dribble, shoot. You know that guy that's 6'5", and 330 pounds that can have the natural body balance to be a great football player. You know that guy who has the natural hand-eye coordination, vision, and, and processing ability to play quarterback in the NFL. You know that guy that can stand at the plate at 5 feet 10 inches tall or less see a baseball moving at 100 miles an hour, strike it with a wooden object and knock it out of the park. You know that guy. You know that guy that can run down a baseball in center. You know that guy that can catch that puck on the end of the stick and slap it in a goal behind a man who is giving you absolutely no access. That's natural skill. That is the one that we see reaping the benefits of dynamic financial rewards in our day-to-day. Now, in our world, kids are playing sports at every angle. Sports have become more important than anything else. Education has become the sidebar for, for sport and sporting events. The naturally skilled, they tell you that your skills will make a way for you. They start putting you in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball at a six, five, six-year-old level. They see the talent in you, the natural talent that says to you, you know, your work ethic is related to your natural skill. Your education, that your natural skill will get you an education. Now we know that that's all a lie. Because your natural ability that puts you in college today is not putting you in college to get you an education. It's putting you in college to get your name, image, and likeness money. Huh. They tell you, of course, that these skills are going to make a way for you. And uh, this is true of such things as those that are gifted in athletics. You are naturally gifted with size, height, speed, hand-eye coordination, and those will open the door for you. Um, they may not be your ticket, however, to fame and fortune. Although this has been expanded to some extent in our, extent in our current day, the statistics based upon the participation are not in favor of the vast majority running into fame and fortune based on natural skill. You see, the faith system of the world does not have statistics even in its own corner. Wow. Wow. So most gravitate, if you will, uh, to uh, uh, most people are going to gravitate and try to go up the hierarchy. They're going to start out young. They're going to work their way into education. They're going to find out what their natural skills are. And uh, those that are gravitating are going to be listening to the natural interpretation of faith. Most people now then find out that it is the last option of natural faith that really sets them in any kind of a world of which they can really legitimately in the natural economy of faith succeed. That is, 
those that operate in the connection issue. Since the three messages that are provided have not been as lucrative as originally supposed, we now place our faith in ability to be connected to a group and thrive off of the prosperity of that group. We see this happening across our cultures and in various forms. Connectivity is the means that is now produced in our cultures predominantly based upon racial lines that bring self-satisfaction and self-gratification. The issue is it comes with a great price. This faith, of course, of connectivity is all-inclusive, becomes an operation in the management of life. Now here's what's more important. It becomes an operation in the management of remaining life and remaining alive. When called upon by those to whom you are connected to engage there are no options but to engage. When called upon to act, again, there are no options but to act. There's a deep price to pay for placing your faith in this particular mechanism. However, it is the proven faith factor and faith factory of the unbeliever. They desire to manage their own life and be their own God. Now this goes across cultures. This is how the drug culture operates, the alcohol culture, the domestic violence culture, the gun violence culture, the gang violence culture. All of this is operating off of connectivity where they become their own little God. They connect to it, and then they're forced to engage with it. The alcoholic goes to the bar. He connects with that. He is forced now to engage in the connectivity that comes, the faithfulness that comes to what they're doing. The drug addict, the sex trafficker, and the sex worker all engage. What a price to be paid. They don't realize that the choice of connection totally eliminates the control, their personal control, of which they initially so desired. Their faith option has brought them into an option where they are no longer in control. They are controlled by others. They are controlled by the, the substance that they use. They are controlled by their anger. They are controlled by violence. Their faith option of connectivity that so gratified them and brought them into the clutches of its control now has a great price to pay. We see faith. We see the drug addict having faith in his drug. We see the alcoholic having faith in his alcohol. We see the gang member having faith in his gang. But the price of that natural absorption of faith has brought them into a place where they no longer have control. They are at the beck and call, whether it's of a substance or someone to do what it is 
that substance or that someone desires. At what point do these faith vehicle, vehicles become apparent? At what point do they become apparent? We're going to pick up there with our next session. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I pray that our eyes would be opened and our ears would hear. The difference between how we operate in the natural and how we operate in the spiritual and how those two, when crossed over, can create all kinds and a world of consequences and repercussions. When we try to use eternity only in the spiritual realm, never understanding that it is an eternal realm, period. When we try to use believing inappropriately the consequences and repercussions that it causes. When we operate in the wrong kind of faith and place it in the wrong places, the consequences and repercussions that it causes. Open our eyes that we can see in lightness, Father. We will give you praise and honor and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen. Well, may God bless you. Until we get to speak again, we're going to contrast spiritual faith in beginning in our next session. May God bless you until we speak again.